Hey, would you pray with me? Join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want your presence with us. We want your presence in us. We ask that your Holy Spirit today would fill us with more of him, more of our counselor, more of our teacher, more of our guide, more of our anointing to lead us in following Jesus willingly, following the Spirit. God, we, we just ask today that you would speak to us, especially as it relates to loved ones, friends, co-workers, extended family members, children whom we're concerned about. Show us how you want us to love them this season. Give us hope today in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Is that, come on, can I get a louder amen? amen. No, nope, a little louder. Amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Great to see you. You can be seated. If you're visiting, my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I am thrilled to get to continue our series, When Christians Get It Right. Don't we all want to get it right? Don't you want to get it right? When you go to Rayleigh's and you have a shopping list and you think, uh, am I forgetting something? You don't want to get it. You want to get it Right. When you're in the morning, when you're getting up and you're headed towards the Bay Area or you're heading downtown, how many of you have ever been caught not checking MapQuest on a Saturday morning and totally forgetting that that I-80 West totally bottles up, you lose 15 minutes? Anyone else done that besides me? It's like, why didn't I check MapQuest? Or if you're even going south on the 5 and there's some collision there, you end up losing lots of time. Everyone, as it comes, relates to MapQuest, you want to get it? Because it's a pain if you don't. Some people don't get it right all the time. This is a, a meme library of folks that got it wrong. So here's a Halloween costume of Iron Man. <laughs> he got it wrong. Okay? Here's, here's a, no doubt, uh, uh, a family that was taking carpooling to the next level. They got it wrong. No one wants to get it wrong, and there's so many opportunities to get it wrong, isn't there? And then this is my favorite one. Let's go fishing. How do you launch a boat? How do you do that? They got it wrong. They got it wrong. Oh, don't you just feel for it? Male or female driver, what do you say? Male. Male, male, yeah, yeah, we know, uh-uh. we're not going there anymore, do we? Uh-uh, we don't do that anymore. It takes about 30 years and you figure that one out. You're doing it wrong. You want to get stuff, you know one area in our lives that I think makes the biggest difference that we want to get right? It's relationships. Even the California State of Mental Health Department realizes that getting your relationships right is critical. California State, I love our state. The beginning of our state's constitution says, to God be the glory. Don't forget that. Here it is. The California Department of Mental Health discovered that if you're disconnected from other people, there's no one in your life that you feel really understands you, you are two to three times more likely to die an early death. Thank you for coming. Have a great weekend. Check this out. Four times more likely to suffer from emotional burnout, five times more likely to suffer clinical depression, and ten times more likely to be hospitalized for an emotional or mental disorder. Ah, that freaks you out, doesn't it? The point is, even the state of California mental health has... has has derived at this idea that we need to be connected to each other to have to be important. And I can tell you as a pastor, it's huge for me personally to have to be surrounded by people who love me and, and people whom I get to love. It's just huge. It's 
the key to my vitality besides prayer and the word. But relationships, being connected. In this letter we're going to look at, we're looking at a letter written by the most prolific writer in the first century. The most pro, not the most prolific writer, that wouldn't be accurate. But the most prolific worker in the first century of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, he is exhibiting a church that was a model church. They were incredible examples. And uh, he started this church on the Aegean Sea, the Greek islands, right there on a harbor called Thessalonica. It's still extant today. It uh, is a population today of 200,000. And when he first got there, he started the church like he normally does at a Jewish synagogue. But the Jews there who received the Christian message that Jesus was the chosen one, the Messiah they'd been waiting on for years, they persecuted him and his team, Silas and Timothy. And so Paul had to leave in just three months. Can you imagine you start a new, new franchise? You get three months, you're out. He had to leave. And what we learn from Paul that's exceptional is that hardworking humility produces what we all want, what we all need, whether you realize it or not, enduring relationships. Hardworking humility produces enduring, healthy relationships. And I got to tell you, I just got back from, from a getaway to Arkansas, and I got to be with my family with whom I'm enjoying healthy, enduring relationships around pecan pie. It's the best. Here's what Paul said about this church. Read, when I get to the red, you join me, would you? When I get to the red, you join me, would you? <laughs> you became... He's, he, I, I, I'm not the red yet. He's saying, you're the example. Bob Russell, pastor of, uh, former pastor of Southeast Louisville Christian Church, says, example's everything. Example. Lectures never changed anyone, changed anyone, examples everything. And he says, in and this church is just a few months old, and they become the example because they experienced hardship, persecution, and they endured under it. What would happen if we experienced the same even if we start that Paul developed in Thessalonica? What would happen if we started walking into enduring relational health personally. What would that, how would that change our lives? What would it look like for us to take steps that direction and really enjoy our relationships deeply, deeply? There's a way to do this. And you can have incredible victory with the people that you're close to, the people you work with. Paul is going to set an incredible example here for us that can really make a difference. Let me show you. Here it is. Paul says this. When I get to the red, you join me, would you? Great. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, let me just pause there. That means he was given authority to speak and write on behalf of Jesus. Only 12 other guys were given that kind of authority. We could have asserted our authority. He had the title. He had the position. He had the leverage. The, 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 he had the scope. Instead, young children. 
what? I mean, can you imagine you're being interviewed for a job and he asks you, what's the key to supervisory management? What's the key to leadership? Oh, to have the innocence and the awe of a child. You're going to get a job? <laughs> what? There's more. In fact, as I read the scripture, look for all the familial references to how Paul sought to influence others among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. You're in an interview. Can you see it? How do you want to influence people? Is Paul going to say, like a nursing mother? Yeah. Where's that going to win you? (laughs) What? Because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil. A PhD. What an incredible person here that is a PhD in theology, that's a, a contractor, and has this soft spot for people that just moves them to sacrifice everything for others. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. By the way, no perfect people are allowed. We can't be perfect, but we're called to live at a high standard so that we don't trip anybody else up in their faith and so that we bring glory to God. And that all is accomplished by his grace alone, the power of his spirit working in our lives. It's not on our own. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. How does a father deal with his own children? Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is. I think it's important to kind of footnote here. Whenever Paul's writing or Paul's teaching or you're reading something that Paul wrote, they're the words of Jesus. He received his entire revelation from Jesus face to face, one on one. It's important because sometimes people say, I don't agree with Paul. Ah, No, no, you don't agree with Jesus. It's Jesus speaking through Paul. That's what makes him an apostle. So why should we why should we master this chapter we're going to be in? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I think this is the critical piece. Your quality of life is directly tied to your relationships. Your quality of life goes up when your relationships go up. Hey, Dan, I'm going to share a personal story I don't want on the audio recording. This week, last week, I was in a... Right? Okay, we can go back on. How do you do it? So just in a sentence, you love people. Uh, duh, <laughs> duh. You love people. But what does that look like? How do you love people? So I'm going to walk through kind of a, a, an anatomy of how Paul loved people, and we're going to try to learn from his example. <clears throat> Here it is, number one. He won the Thessalonians with meekness, not manipulation. Meekness, not manipulation. Here it is. We were not looking for praise from people. Instead, We were like young children among you. What's a young child like? They're innocent. They're in awe. They're they're infatuated. They have heroes. Here's how I visualize Paul. Paul's this guy that's so excited about 
Jesus opening the hearts of these Thessalonians, that he's just in awe of them. He just respects what they do so much. I want to pause and say, I respect so much what the team did to design this atmosphere here. Isn't this amazing? I just can't believe it. You'll have to look at the lobby. Don't miss the dove that's looking at the cross and major scene. The dove off the tree. I, did, I had to have someone point that out to me. Just the detail. I thought this was like a deep forest in here. When I first walked in, I was like, how many trees are on the platform? Where did they come from? Just so grateful, especially thanks to Chuck and Diane Howell. They do so much to serve our church, and they really went overboard uh, this weekend. Thank you for your work, Chuck and Diane. Amazing. So here's the deal. Paul had this childlike, I want to use the word infatuation, hero, hero view of these new believers in Thessalonica because they were being persecuted. They suffered. They suffered. They, they, they suffered financially. They suffered legally. They may have suffered physically because when you receive the gospel and you turn from idols, which are part of the economy, it makes people mad. And you know, when the gospel goes out, it creates division. The devil hates it, and he creates more division and more hatred, and that's what they experienced. He won them with meekness. He was meek. He was humble. How do you, how do you influence someone with meekness? Here's how you do it. it. It's so tempting to always think, hey, I, I want you to become like me, or I want you to change the way I'm comfortable you changing like. And so whenever you're around people, they think that it's all about you. And you're trying to influence them for Jesus without any buy-in. You, th- you think you have buy-in, but you don't. Here's what buy-in is. Buy-in means that somebody else believes that their well-being is your number one priority. Buy-in is when somebody else actually believes that you are more concerned about their well-being than your own. That that it's really all about them. That's buy-in. And when you have buy-in, when someone knows that you really care about them, it's amazing what the Holy Spirit can do with that. How How do you do that? You ask a question like, instead of telling everyone else what you think all the time, Anybody good at that? You say, what do you think? And you just listen. Hey, what do you think about this? It's an amazing skill. I just started for the first time this morning. People really will share their opinion. I'm just kidding. It's a great tool. What do you think? What do you think about this? And you don't have to say anything. They'll they'll share. You're getting buy-in when you do that. So here's the question. Are you trying to lead someone without buy-in? Do they know you... As far as you're concerned, their well-being is number one priority. Their development, their peace, their joy, their hope. You want to have that with people unconditionally. This is a mark of an adventure. This is loving unconditionally. Adventurers love unconditionally. That's what it means to have buy-in. Paul was meek. He was not a manipulator. There's this story about this high school kid that got a job at a zoo. Uh, he, they only had one job. Their gorilla had gotten a virus, and so he was offered a, a job acting as a gorilla. 
they, he said, just put this suit on. Lots of people were coming this weekend. Sit up in this tree and act like a gorilla. So he's like, all right, good wage. So he gets up on the tree, and he starts, like, scratching himself and moving around a little bit. And folks are like, he's good. They start clapping. They think, this is a cool gorilla. And he's like, I love this attention. So there's a swing he grabs, and he, he starts swinging around, and he swings too far, and he misses the fence and lands in the lion's den. And he is freaking out, this high school kid. He's like, ah, and this, this lion attacks him he run, as he runs up to the fence to tell people, I'm not a gorilla, I'm not a gorilla, I'm a man. This lion pounces on him and says, shut up or we're both going to lose our jobs. <laughs> this guy had a sense of meekness. He didn't think too highly of himself, okay? He didn't think too highly of himself. Second thing Paul did that helped love people. How do you love people? That's the question we're answering. He inspired them with authenticity, not authority. I heard a story this week from Kurt Harlow, who used to serve as a campus pastor at UOP, and he was apprenticing a teacher who was giving a message to college students for the first time, three to 400 college students, and in the middle of the message, Kurt sighed, because his apprentice said, hey, I'm going to share something with you that I didn't prepare to share. And Kurt's like, what are you going to say? It's always scary. Hey, I didn't plan to say this, but, ah! And he said this. He said, I am, uh, this week, I confessed to my professor that I've been cheating that I, on a test. And I just wanted to be honest about that. And the professor said, okay, you know the rules. You fail the class. All right. And he said, before three to 400 college students, hey, I got to tell you, I feel really good today about the fact that I, though I failed a college class, I passed the most important test before you and before God of true authenticity. Paul was authentic. He shared a lot of his weaknesses. Like he would share stuff like, hey, when I'm weak, I'm strong. What, what kind of leader does that? He, was, he would share language like, I pray that, that Christ through me will accomplish his purpose. He was very willing to humble himself like Christ did all the time. What kind of person does that? It's an authentic person. He says, we were delighted to share not only the gospel of God. Let's do that again. We were delighted to share not only the gospel of God, but our lives. Our lives. We share. Dwight Eisenhower said, you do not lead people, you do not lead by hitting people in the head. That's an assault. It's not leadership. No, you lead people with authenticity. Here are a couple quotes. Authenticity is not talking a lot, nor is it about being very emotional. Sometimes we think, oh, let's be authentic, so let's talk a lot, let's just be all sentimental. Authenticity is taking the risk of vulnerability. I met with someone this week that's not a part of Adventure, uh, a guy regionally that I've known for quite a while. I said, how's it going? He said, you know what? I'm really struggling with insecurities. I'm like, that's authentic. (laughs) A guy who trusted me to just pray for him to grow in that area. I was like, I like that. Authenticity is taking the risk of vulnerability. Brene Brown, great book. She wrote, vulnerability is managing uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. Here's the deal, when, when, uh, kind of a rule of thumb. If I get uncomfortable in a situation, I try to stay there. Don't leave, don't talk, 
embrace it. Let the Holy Spirit teach me something. Don't run from it. That's what it means to be willing to be vulnerable. Paul was authentic. He was an authentic person. So let me, let's, let me ask you, as a mother, as a father, are you authentic? Do you ask, do you, are you willing to live at the same standard you ask your kids to live at? Are you momineering or are you domineering or fathering? <laughs> are you willing to live at the same selves or, you know, we got, if we're single and we're looking for some, looking for, to get married someday, we got this high standard of list. But then let me ask you, do you qualify? Or even as a married person, you've got high expectations of your spouse. Do you meet those expectations? Right? Or even as a teenager, you've got high um, expectations of your parents for Christmas. It's coming up. Let's do it right, Mom and Dad. What about you? What are you going to do right? Right? Are you? So the question, the question that goes along with this is, are you meeting that same expectations that you have? Of yourself. Thirdly, Paul set a culture with hard work, not hardline expectations. Paul was a very hard worker, an example to all. By the way, hard work is one of the most difficult disciplines to actually improve in in your work career. It's actually easier to to develop in humility, and it's easier to develop as a relationally intelligent team member than it is to grow in hard work. The way you know that you're struggling to work hard is that you're unwilling to help other teams or departments if it inconveniences you. Someone who's a hard worker is willing to help another team out at their own inconvenience. Someone who's a hard worker will put their, their, their family and or their uh, work first before their own personal uh, luxuries, their own personal hobbies. Y- you know, if you're doing an interview and you ask someone what they do on their free time and they say, I train for a marathon every month, they're not going to, they'll be a hard worker on the weekends, but not in your department. Hard work is tough. So what does Paul say about his hard work? Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship Let's say that louder. Do you know anyone that works night and day? I bet you do. How many of you know someone that works night and day? How many of you are someone that works night and day? Really? God? In order not to be a burden to anyone. There was a Jewish cultural saying that if you teach your son or daughter a trade, you'll protect them from being a robber someday. Paul, I think mostly by example wanted to be a hard worker. And so he had his own satchel, his own contractor's bag, whereby he financed his own ministry and the ministry of his team by tent building, tent making, building houses, first century houses. That's what what he did. And let me just say, we have tons of hard workers here at Adventure that give tons of their time, their professional time, to make Adventure what she is today. Really, hard workers. Hard workers, and I want to encourage you, I want to urge you, I want to strengthen you. If you've not found a spot to give some of the talent God has given you and put it on on loan to God, uh, or give him back what he's put on loan to you, is better said, I want to encourage you today, pick up that connect card and say, hey, put me in, coach, 
put me in. I'm ready to do something. And we promise we won't, we, we, something you won't enjoy um, for more than a week. Uh, but we, we don't, don't be on the sidelines. Don't be a spectator. You won't enjoy it. And you act, grab that connect card right next to here if you're not serving. So get serving in some capacity. Grab that connect card right now if you need the reminder. And just say, hey, put me in, Pastor Scott, and we'll do that. He set the culture of hard work, not hard expectations. Paul never promoted himself out of hard work. He always worked hard. Paul knew his example was more powerful than his explanation. I was so impressed, and I, I shared this with our staff this week and asked if it was cool if I shared it with you. You know, we had 80-something President Emeritus Bryce Jessup here speak in October. I got great, great feedback on him. Um, did a great job. When we have guest speakers, we try to honor their preparation time by giving them an honorarium. It's nothing to brag about. It won't attract, you know, who's who in the speaking, you know, guild. Um, But what really impressed me about him is here's a guy that's experienced tremendous um, success by being patient. And he, he sent us a thank you note and said, thank you so much for the generous honorarium. That's a hard worker. <laughs> I was impressed with that kind of hard work. And I tell you, I'm, I'm impressed with just some of our musicians. They work so hard to get here, to start on time, and deliver something special. They don't just get here and do this. You guys know that? They don't just show and blow. I think that's how you say it. I hope that's how you say it. <laughs> they don't just show like, hey, let's do this. They put in hours to deliver this. Hours. Hours. And uh, it's, it's hard work. They set a great example for us to learn from. So here's, as it, as it relates to the people you're trying to influence, I've got a question for you. Are you giving more than what you expect in return? This is a, this is a classic mother Are you giving more than you expect in return to help someone become who God intended them to be? And I I just can't imagine that some of you aren't in marriages that mean that you need to to give more. That's okay. Some of you are in relationships where you need to be the giver, friendships. You're you're in work relationships where you're the giver. You're giving more than than you're receiving. Let me just say, that's okay. Because Paul set the example of hard work when he did that. Okay? Super example. Number four, he sought to build a family, not a following. He says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. And I love Paul's commenting on the characteristics of a father here while not really in metaphorically or, or in simile, while not talking about parenting, but he says in, in the passage, he says that a father um, urges gentle urging and strengthening of your children. That's so important for us to seize opportunities to do that. In fact, last night, um, I don't mind if this is recorded, Jack comes home like at 2 in the morning from In-N-Out Burger, 
And I wanted to tell him I was so impressed by how helpful he was on Saturday when we were, you know, doing a few things, refurbishing our yard, hanging Christmas lights, reorganizing the garage, cutting trees, all that in a matter of hours. But I wanted him to know I was impressed. And uh, so I went into the kitchen, and he was enjoying some Captain Crunch cereal. And I put my arm around him and said, hey, I just want you to know, and he's a toucher. He likes touch. I was really impressed, and he goes, thanks, Dad. And I was like, I'll bet he felt encouraged. I hope. I hope he did. That's what our dads were supposed to do. We're called to build a family here. We experienced that this week. This week, Zach said, Scott, we've got a solicitor here from a local vendor that's having a grand opening tonight. Um, He wants to invite us to it. Can we let him in? I said, yeah, bring him in. He came into my office. He was 20 years old. He said, yeah, we've got a new finance company off Northgate. Where we'd like to invite you and your people to come tonight. I said, okay, I don't know how many we can get there in three hours, but okay. And then he said, uh, you know, I never would just come into a church like this. Really? He goes, no, I, but I, something's going on in my life. I don't know what it is. My mother is, um, he said, I've had issues with alcohol. I've had issues with attitude. And my mother and I have been reading Christian material together. I've started weeping. And I don't know what my issue is. My mother says, are you, are you on something? He says, no, I'm not on anything. <laughs> and he says, I don't know if it's just becoming a man or something, but I just find myself really touched. He says, I was raised Catholic, and I've, I felt like God's wanted me to get back to church. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you're in one right now. We're in my office right there. And I said, hey, I know you're working. Can I just tab three minutes? He goes, yeah. So we brought him in here to the cross that's in the lobby. And I said, this cross is symbolic of the payment that was made for all of our shortcomings. The law was set, us up to, was set up to show us we couldn't keep it. We would fail. And Jesus was lifted up to help make us, to help bring peace with us, with God in us, by what he did do on the cross. He said, I need to do this. And I said, listen, I said, I don't want to talk your leg off. He said, no, I need to do this. And I'm like, I didn't want to manipulate him. I said, are, are you, you want to make Jesus the leader of your life? He said, I do. This is a good lunch hour conversation. I said, well, let's do it right now. I'm going to leave staff was there. I introduced him to him. with Jesus the Lord and leader of your life? He said, amen. We walked out in the lobby. Some of my staff was there. I introduced him to him. We gave him a kit. And uh, we've been in contact with him since. Here's the deal. We want to build a family here, not a following, where we care for each other. And it will really matter here because you never know when the Spirit is op- opening an opportunity for you. All the time, even in your busy, hectic schedule, when that solicitor comes by, he may be ready to make a decision to give his life to Jesus. Following Jesus willingly is what creates that humble, hardworking relationship that truly changed people's lives for the long run. Following him. If you've not made that decision, why not today? Make it to follow him. It'll, it'll, it'll rest your heart. It'll, it'll set you at ease. It'll increase your influence significantly. What would happen if we found the same enduring relational health that Paul developed in Thessalonica? Here's how we do it. We love people. It changes everything. Paul loved like a nursing mother, like a father, like a brother and sister. And how do we do this? With meekness not manipulation. 
with authenticity, with hard work, with family. And one more thing I want to add. There may be someone here that's got someone that you're really angry with, bitter even. Let me tell you the trick to that. You pray for them. You just pray for them. You pray blessing on them. You know, some people can just get under your skin just because it feels like they were born to get under your skin, right? It's like, wow, you got a gift, (laughs) right? Hey, you pray for them, and you watch the Holy Spirit change your heart. You'll find that you love them in the future, even if they don't like you. That's kind of fun. Let me just ask right now, how many of yours would say today, need to grow in meekness, not manipulation? Anybody? Yeah, I need to be meek. How many of you would say, I need to grow in authenticity? I typically run away from emotions that scare me. Anybody? I, I would say of me, sometimes that can be me. How many would like to become a harder worker? Maybe even serve here more or in our community. Anybody? Okay. How many want to, that family experience more at church and in your relationships? How many have got someone this week you need to pray for because they're getting under your skin? All right. Whoa, lots of participation. (laughs) All right, Chuck, would you come on up here as we uh, pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this season whereby we get to look at what's most important, and that is our relationships. We ask that your spirit would help us embrace meekness, embrace authenticity, embrace hard work, embrace people like family, and pray for those that we're struggling with. If you're here today and you've never made a decision to accept Jesus Christ personally and make him the leader of your life, why not right now? Why not right now? It's simple. All you do is say, Jesus, today I'm willing to accept your sacrifice for my sins, your resurrection for my hope, and make you the leader of my life. If that's you, why don't you pray that prayer with me right now? Jesus, today I'm willing to accept your sacrifice for my sins. I'm willing to believe that you resurrected from the dead for my hope now and forevermore. And I'm willing to follow you willingly as the leader of my life. If for the first time you just prayed that prayer to become a Christian, would you just raise your hand? I want to acknowledge your decision. Anybody say yeah? First time. All right, sir, I see your hand. Anybody else say yes? First time. I want to follow him. Father, of knowing all the sins have been raised his hand for the first time. Fill him with the incredible love of knowing all the sins have been forgiven forever. Fill him with your power of your spirit so that he can live courageously, lovingly, with discipline. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, to the gentleman who raised your hand on the way out, I want to encourage you to stop by the prayer room. Let him know you raised your hand if you have time. If you don't, there's a survival box for you right by the Christmas tree in the center. Grab that. You're not stealing. It's a gift we designed for you. Chuck? Good morning. Uh, i got to set this record straight a little bit. Uh, I appreciate the praise that Scott gave to Diane and I, but we're just part of a a big crew who did the decorating here. Uh, Stacy O'Brien was the big pusher on that, and Cheryl and Dan Dice, and Rick Rurick was here, Linda Hutchinson, Chris